faith over the things that we look at in God's Word this morning. This is my Bible. God's written living Word to me. It's how He thinks. It tells me what God says I can have and reveals to me who God says I am. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore, I am transformed. Amen. We are going to continue this morning with our message, our series called God's Dream. The whole idea of this series has been that fulfillment in life doesn't come from me chasing my dreams, but rather reflecting and fulfilling God's. And so we've looked at several aspects of God's dreams. Last week, interesting message entitled Men in Black. And we talked about how God has a dream of just blinking our theology and delivering us from religion and and getting us to a place where we can be life-giving again. This week, today, and this may be the last in the series, at least as I know it right now, I want to talk to you about the subject of in or out. God's dream is that we would simply introduce people to our best friend and not to religion or Christianity. I'm just going to sit there for a minute because that's to hear a Christian pastor say that from the pulpit is like. Well, I want to say a couple of other things as I prepare you to think critically this morning. First of all, as we've been learning in this series, God and Jesus were successful. They just were. What they set out to do The plan they had in their heart, it worked. They were successful. I also submit to you that Jesus did not come to start a new religion. I also submit to you that Jesus and Christianity are not the same thing. Boy, have we made them so. Especially here in our Western world. Here's an idea I just want to float, and we'll explore it more this morning. Could somebody actually be saved and not know it? Uh, Say a person meets Jesus and decides to follow him without having any concept of salvation or heaven or hell or a moral code based on the wages of sin. What then? What if our concept of salvation is based on a gospel that is the sum of its explainable parts? What if we consider ourselves saved because we have a dynamite explanation of salvation? And so we've learned it, and we've told others these steps, and we just know that's how you get saved, and that's why I'm saved, because... I have a dynamite explanation of how to do it. Could we, um, my brother, bring over our whiteboard? You know I love to whiteboard. And so I have a new toy. 
and it's, it's got wheels, and this is like way cool <laughs> that it's so convenient, okay? So can everybody sort of see that? Okay, yeah, just we'll push it back just a little bit right in there. We good? All right. So what if we've made salvation all about the we and the they. Okay, so here's Robin and here's Trevor and here's Sammy. Now what I'm doing is I'm putting the names of people that I just like I know they're saved. These are good Christians. So I'm thinking our worship leader, you know, he's, he's probably a good, a good Christian. I mean, I know, you know, Terry. She's a good Christian. The uh, tall man here on the front. I mean, if anybody, if anybody is saved, Rick is saved. I mean, he'll read your mail, prophesy to you, and then give you $100. You don't do that unless you're saved. All right, they, these are all the saved people. Now... Guess who these people are? <laughs> this is Joe. This is, um, oh, give me some names. Patty. Patty. Ah, she's not saved. <laughs> we know Patty's not saved. Patty's got problems. Okay. Who? Yeah. Who? Who? Fred? Fred. Fred. Oh, okay. You know somebody you know? All right. Hopefully, Fred, you're not listening to this. No, actually, Fred, I hope you are listening to this, and I hope you go to the all, all the way to the end. Yo. Yo, Obama. Oh, Obama. I thought she said Mama. Yo mama. You know what? I'm just going to go with what I heard. Yo mama. All right, you, you get the idea here, all right? So, so what we've done with our Western Christianity, we've really made it about this circle of things, right? This circle of salvation. This is the idea of salvation that, that many have. We, and we live in this circle. Our, our Christian mission is to get all of the people who aren't saved over here into the circle where they can be saved. And generally, we do this by, in two ways. First of all, we've got to convince them to adopt our beliefs. 
Secondly, we have to tell them that it's important to self-narrate their change through a process of confession. That's the way they're going to really bring their heart to God and get it changed is to confess their sins. So it, it really becomes about forcing people into the kingdom of God. It's kind of like this holy download, all right? Once we get saved, you know, it's my mission now. I've got to get everybody into the circle. So we treat others with this holy download of right doctrine, you know, right definitions for Christianity, our practices and getting them to come to church and all of those things. It becomes all about that. We make it more about what's between their ears than what's in their heart. And I thought it was Jesus that said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He does the drawing. We just lift him up. That's interesting. He didn't say, if you lift your church up. He didn't say, if you lift up your doctrine of baptisms. Or if you lift up your doctrine of confession. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all, not some, all men unto me. Well... Let's continue to look here. At another circle. Jesus Christ. Let's draw some more dots here. And you, you know what this is, right? This is Jesus. And classical Christianity teaches us that we're all separated from God. Now, let's... Uh, Let's make this one Andrew. And um, how about this one? We'll do this as Peter. How many of you remember the story of how Jesus was walking along the lake shore one day? And he saw a couple of fishermen with their boat. Jesus wasn't really well known at the time. He just was going around, hanging out, inserting himself into the lives of people. So he's on the shore of Galilee, and he's walking along, and he encounters Andrew and Peter who are fishing. And he quite simply says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that Andrew and Peter both dropped their nets 
and immediately begin to follow Christ. Now that's interesting. Were Andrew and Peter saved? And when did they get saved? It's interesting that Jesus never sits down at any place in the Bible and charters a basic kingdom outline of how to get saved. He walks into Andrew and Peter's lives and simply says, follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Carl Medeiros in his book, Speaking of Jesus, says, and I quote, Once Jesus made contact, their hearts struggled within them, like Peter and Andrew. Think about this now. Once Jesus makes contact with you, your heart begins to struggle within you. Should I follow or shouldn't I? And in fact, even as you mature and grow in the Lord and begin to serve him and follow him for a length of years, our hearts continue to have that thing of struggling. And I think that's all about the relationship. You that are married know all about that. You said, I do. And then you said, what did I do? (laughs) And five years from now, you'll be saying... Why did I do? And, and 20 years from now, you're being, saying, I wish I'd done it differently. And 30 years from now, you'll be saying, you know, I'm learning how to compromise. And 40 years from now, you'll be saying, wow, this is getting pretty good. <laughs> you know, and it, because the heart struggles to surrender, the heart struggles to follow. And Jesus knew that. And he didn't make it all about lists and do's and don'ts and he didn't examine their behavior and tell them they had to clean it all up. Newsflash, Jesus and Christianity are not the same thing. Your notes, by the way, did we hand out notes today? We didn't? Okay. We have them. Would anybody be interested? I'll tell you what, they're on your app. Don't do it right now, but if you've downloaded the app, the church app, they're in there. So that'll save you some time. You know, our approach to Christianity is interesting because it's like this barcode faith. Barcode Christianity. Theologian Dallas Willard calls it barcode faith, and he writes this, I quote, The theology of Christian trinkets says there's something about the Christian that works like a barcode. Some ritual, some belief, or some association with a group affects God the way the barcode affects the scanner. Perhaps there occurred a moment of some mental assent to a creed or an association entered into with a church, and all of a sudden, God scans it, and forgiveness just floods forth. An appropriate amount of righteousness is shifted from Christ's account to our account in the bank of heaven, and all our debts are paid, and magically, we're saved. It's like a barcode. 
And if you know the process, you're in the circle. And everybody who hasn't gone through the process is outside of the circle. Willard continues, quote, Many are distressed about this distinction between faith and life, but they remain firmly pinned to it by their ideas about salvation, end quote. Can somebody be saved and not know it? What if a person decides to follow Jesus without any concept of moral lists? Or any idea of our classical terms in theology like wages of sin, redemption, being taken to heaven. Jesus was my sacrifice. What what if somebody's never heard any of those things? Carl continues and he comments in his book, what if our concept of salvation is based on a gospel that is the sum of its explainable parts? So, for instance, what if I consider myself saved because I have a dynamic explanation of salvation? I have all the correct components and labels. Sin separates me from God. God has had mercy on me. There's a sacrifice for my sin. There's atonement. I'm justified by faith. God grants me eternal life. And if I understand that, then I'm saved. If I hear that and I accept that, I'm saved. Really? Do you know that understanding the doctrine of forgiveness does not deliver you from sin? Jesus does. Wow. That's good. Let's consider Paul. I mean, after all, he wrote over half of the New Testament. If there's anybody who understood the doctrine of salvation, it was Paul. I want you to consider something. Let's go in our Bibles. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 9, and starting in verse 1. Now, this is the account of Paul's salvation. Prior to his salvation, he's called Saul of Tarsus. He's not a believer. In fact, look at the first verse. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. Now stop. This was Saul's mission to find everybody who was professing this new Christianity, this new belief in Jesus and threatening to become their followers and leave the Jewish faith. He made it his mission to find them, drag them out into the streets and cause them great suffering. Many of them he killed. Paul murdered Christians. He was yet on now another mission, going to Jerusalem to see the high priest. Verse 2, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he was able to find there. 
He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem with chains. So he was going to Damascus to bring them back to Jerusalem, verse 3. And he was, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. And the rest of the passage tells us how a man visits him quite supernaturally, instructed of the Lord to go and to find him. His name is Ananias, and the rest of that story unfolds. Now, interesting here, nowhere in this encounter with Jesus, nor in Ananias' instruction to Paul once he gets there, is there this holy checklist? Paul, did you confess your sins? Check. Do you know that the wages of sin is death? Check. Do you know that God's given a free gift, the gift of salvation, to free you from sin? Check. Okay. Repent and pray this prayer. Check. Now what? Well, now you're a Christian. (laughs) Read the Bible every day and pray a lot. Try not to sin because if you do, you'll miss the blessing of God and he'll likely have to discipline you. Check. Oh, by the way, welcome into the kingdom. Check. There was none of that. There was none of that with Andrew and... Peter, there was none of that with Paul. Ananias came, found him, prayed over him that he would receive his sight because the Lord said, Ananias, you'll find a man there. He's called Saul of Tarsus. I've brought him there. He's blind. Pray for him. He's going to receive his sight at your hands for I have called him and commissioned him to do great things. Ananias gets there introduces himself, lays hands on on Paul, Saul, as he was called. He complains first to the Lord before he leaves because he had heard about this Saul, that he was a murderer. And so he talks to the Lord and said, Lord, are you crazy? I mean, that's the course in translation. Are you crazy? This man's a murderer. What, what, What do you mean you're sending me to him and that you have plans for him? He's killing Christians. Ananias goes ahead. He lays hands on Saul. Saul gets his vision back and he's baptized in the Holy Ghost. And guess what? No holy checklist. Hmm? Who is that that does that? Who's that character? Hmm? Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. <laughs> I heard that. I don't know who did that, but that, that's cute. Hmm? <laughs> Whoop, whoa. What's he say? Oh, 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 row, row. <laughs> hmm? 
No holy download. No looking into your background. No, you need to repent of being a murderer. No, you know. Dear ones, listen to me. The gospel is not a debate, and it's not a list of beliefs. It's a person. Carl, in his book, speaking of Jesus, says, and I quote, The gospel is not an idea. It's not a belief. It's not a favorite verse. The gospel doesn't live in your church can't be written down in a simple message. And it's not the sinner's prayer. The gospel is not a what. And the gospel is not a how. The gospel is a who. The gospel is literally the good news of Jesus. And that Jesus died. He is the gospel. You know what God's dream is, dear ones? That all of us would learn not to tell people about Christianity, not to necessarily invite people to our church so that they can change their ways and become like us. No, no. God's dream is that we would simply point people to and introduce them to our best friend. Witnessing couldn't be easier. When you drop the circles, when you get rid of the circles and who's in and who's out, it becomes very easy to introduce people to your friend. Because he's not looking at the circle. He's not concerned with the circle. He never drew the circle. You did. Religion did. Our assumption is that our neighbor won't know how to receive Christ because they're aliens and they're outside of our circle of understanding of true salvation. So if I preach Christianity, then I own it. Listen to me. If you're going to preach Christianity, you own it. I mean you own everything that goes with it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And boy, have there been a lot of ugly in Christianity. The Crusades. Hitler was considered a Christian. He knew the doctrine. He could tell you the doctrine. He could tell you the doctrine of salvation. Oh my goodness. The atrocities foisted on the world in many, many respects by, quote, Christians or religion and fervor in religion done in the name of Christ. We dare not preach Christianity. We preach Jesus. Because if, on the other hand, I just introduce people to Jesus and the fact that in the heart and logic of God, all humanity was co-included in his death, and co-included in his resurrection, that God has already reconciled humanity to himself, then God owns it. I don't have to own it. I don't have to carry the baggage. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to be sure people understand the nuances of the doctrine 
and the processes and all of that. If you're going to preach Christianity, you own it. If you preach Jesus, he owns it. You see, when we just speak of Jesus, we don't have to explain him. (laughs) Oh, like the blind man. You remember when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man and the religious leaders gathered around him and were criticizing and saying, who did this? Tell us who did this. You remember what he said? I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was good or bad. I just know he touched me and now I can see. (laughs) Jesus can stand up for himself you don't have to prove him good you don't have to prove that the Bible's right you don't have to prove that the Roman road or the four spiritual laws or God's plan of salvation you don't have to do any of that you just need to point people to Jesus and he'll own it oh It's God's dream. This is God's dream. How about if we drop the effort to explain our doctrine, defend the Bible, convert people to Christianity, or even witness with the four spiritual laws? How about let's just talk about Jesus? Is he capable of handling himself in that conversation? I I, I don't know. I I don't understand what happened to me, but I was in this service and they were worshiping Jesus and he touched me and I can see. I can see. I can see. He's not called us to be theologians. He's called us to be a witness. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be a witness, not a Bible teacher. Uh. Yeah. I want us all to open our eyes to the possibility that we've been preaching the wrong message. We've been busy defining the boundary that separates the saved from the unsaved, trying to get people across it, convincing them to think like we do. And Jesus quite simply did none of that with anybody that he ever encountered. He simply said, follow me. And once your neighbor, your friend, your co-worker, hears that they've already in the mind and logic of God been accepted by him. They're loved unconditionally by him and reconciled to him. And they say, okay, I'll follow. I'll follow. Jesus takes it from there. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to monitor it. I was fellowshipping recently here with our worship pastor and Elysia, David and Elysia, and we were talking about these things and 
David said, you know, it's interesting. In Matthew, Jesus, before he left the earth, he said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make Christians. And if it were really that important, he also didn't say, go and teach them the plan of salvation. He just said, go and make disciples. Now, the presumption is, if you're going to make a disciple, someone's already following. Making somebody a disciple is something I do as they agree to follow. Now, I'm just going to show you by my life how I've been following what's been working for me, and I'm going to leave the rest up to God. You see, I, I, I still really do still believe that it is an individual's response to the gospel that's very important. I, I, I do believe that a person needs to simply follow Jesus. But who's in and who's out? I'm not going to draw any circles. That's his business. Now I'm going to invite you as we close to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This won't be on the screen because we don't have this version, but for those of you who have either purchased or downloaded the Mirror Bible, and if you haven't yet, do yourself a favor and please do the Mirror Bible translation. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Now in the light of our co-inclusion in his death and resurrection, whoever you thought you were before, in Christ, you are a brand new person. The old ways of seeing yourself and everyone else are over. Acquaint yourself with the new. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God did not redeem a, compri- a, a, a compromised replica of you. He rescued the original blueprint you, created in his radiant mirror likeness. Any other self you're trying to find or esteem will disappoint. Reckon your do-it-yourself law of work self dead and your redeemed self co-raised and co-seated together with Christ. This is freedom indeed. Now, I, I know that's a paraphrase of verse 17. And if you are to or were to read that from any good word-for-word translation such as New King James or English Standard Version or, or New American Standard, you'd read something like this. But if any man is in Christ, or actually, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation or new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Dear ones, I've always read that as, therefore, if, a condition. I have to do something. I have to change my ways. I have to come and enter Christ through the things that I do, the process I go through, the prayer of salvation. And then Francois and others have helped me understand that's not a, condi- or that's not a condition That's a conclusion. Whenever you read a therefore, find out why it's therefore. The therefore, if any man is in Christ, is the gospel conclusion of verses 14, 15, and 16 that come before that tell us all men died in Christ. 
all men have been raised. Therefore, the conclusion is, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. You know what? I'm going to let God decide who's in and who's out. I'm just going to come alongside now, from now on, and simply facilitate what the Holy Spirit's already doing in people's lives by being sure they know God is good, God loves them, God's not mad at them, God's redeemed them to himself. And oh, by the way, there's no circles. Why don't you come follow? Come follow. Come follow.